Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. All right. Hey, I'm glad you're here today. We are on the second week of our series, Heroes of Faith. And... uh, Like I said, it's not chronological, but we are going to be tackling a, I think it's appropriate that we dedicated a little girl today, because today we're going to talk about one of the heroines of the faith, and that's Esther. Esther. The book of Esther is a very interesting book, and today we're going to be covering it all. The whole book? Yeah, we're going to be here a while. We'll wait till the storm's completely over, and then we're all gone. So if you would do your, uh, do your best to open to the book of Esther, it's right before the book of Psalms, so you go halfway and then take a left. Open your Bibles halfway and take a left, and you'll, you'll get to Job, and then you'll get to Esther. So the idea of this, the big idea of this message is this, courage grows When we begin to realize that even when the world is falling apart around us, there's an eternal, all-powerful, changeless God who is with us and loves us. That last part is vitally important. Every religion out there talks about a God who exists who is out there. That's the point of religion is to, to, to prop up a deity. But when we get to this scripture verse, this big idea, it's vitally important that we understand that not only does he exist, but he's with us and he loves us. We're going to talk a little bit about courage today. Joshua 1.9 says this, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. To me, courage is completely, is is, is stupidity if that second part of that verse does not exist. Right? The poor, the poor, not poor, poor, is a set of dice or lots. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I, we uh, took a trip to the Grand Canyon, and we found that uh, the cheapest place to stay was in Las Vegas. So we stayed in a hotel called the um, Treasure Island Hotel, and I got this as a souvenir. But dice represent chance. Dice represent a one in six chance that you're going to get it right. Dice are the same thing as a pur. Now, the pur, why do we talk about pur? A pur, have you ever heard of Purim? The Jewish holiday of Purim? That's where it comes from. It comes from the, the pur, which are dice or lots that were thrown. It often seems as if life is a random 
game of chance. Anybody ever felt that way? We, we, we talk about it all the time in our culture. You got to just roll the dice. Just, take, just roll the dice. Maybe you've been dealt a bad hand. Ever hear somebody say that? I've just been dealt a bad hand. Or on the flip side of that, you just have to play the hand you're dealt. Right? Play the hand you're dealt. After all, life is just a crapshoot. Maybe you think crapshoot means like poop. It's not. It's the game of crap. <laughs> it's a game along with that. So we, we have this, um, this idea of karma, this idea of chance, the fates. And, and it's integrated into our cultural identity that some people just got dealt a bad deal and other people that got handed a, a good roll of dice. And sometimes courage feels just like laying out all your chips on the table. Courage is like, I don't know, but I'm just going to go all in and hoping that something will, good will just turn up. These are all gambling terms. These are all chance-related terms that have worked their way into our collective psychology. And the Bible doesn't really talk that way. The Bible talks very differently because that's not courage. Cliff Connectly says this, and I love this way. He, he defines courage. He says this, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. In the story of Esther, we see that what looks like a bad luck situation. The villain of the story literally casts lots or throws dice to see when he should exterminate the entire Jewish population of Persia. He literally just throws dice. That's where we have, that's where we get this concept of Purim. We'll get into that at the end. So, if you wouldn't mind, Go to the book of Esther. If you're there, flip it open. We're going to start right at the beginning. Book of Esther. And we're going to start with one, chapter one. I can find it. I got it. I got it. Nehemiah and then Esther. That's what these uh, bookmarks are made for, but I never put them in. Would you read along with me? Uh, chapter one. Verse 1 through 5. Here we go. These events took place during the days of Ahasuerus, who ruled 127 provinces from India to Cush. In those days, King Ahasuerus reigned from his royal throne in the fortress of Susa. He held a feast in the third year of the reign for after his officials, uh, excuse me, for all of his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Media. The, the nobles and the officials of the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. So this is, this is where we open the story. Now, if you look at the book of Esther, it looks like a Disney story. It really does. It's got the, uh, it's got a, the deep, the, the, the Mustache twirling villain in it, Haman. 
Okay, it's got like a palace intrigue. It almost comes across as a fairy tale. But this particular portion of scripture says no. This is rooted in a place and a time with real people. And it's, it's, it, it, it grounds this as a real world event. There was a real guy named Ahasuerus, Xerxes. He, he, was, he was a real person. There was a real place called Susa. It was a fortified city. It was not just a capital city. It was a fortress. These things happened in a real place, with real, in real time, with real people. Okay? It's difficult to overstate the raw power on display in the court of King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes in the Greek. As the book of Esther begins, we see all of this laid out. He rules from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, which constitutes much of the known world. This is one of the biggest empires in world history. The detailed description of his powerful, uh, this powerful man presents, uh, presented here in this feast. Where are they? The length of the feast, 180, 108 days, right? Big time, 180. Think about that. If I had a feast for 180 days, I'd be a happy man. I'm not saying that. I'm up to the challenge. Let's go for it. 180, that's a long feast. The decorations of his feast, we read on later that there's, uh, he's, his whole Susa is ordained with marble and onyx and all these beautiful stones. Even the location of this feast in the military fortress of his, what they call, a citadel. All combined to make the strength statement that this man is to be feared. Now, Persia ruled over Israel. So we have a, a occupying force. Uh, Xerxes' grandfather let many of the Jews go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but many of them were still subjugated under the Persian rule. Into the midst of this empire comes a young girl and her cousin, a pair who will ultimately stand against the greatness of this king. Now, move over to Esther chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. It says this, In the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Cush, a Benjamite. He had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the other captives when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took King Jehoiakim of Judah into exile. Mordecai was a legal guardian of his cousin, Hadassah. Or, that is Esther in the common tongue. So we have this, this, this Jewish family who is in captivity in Susa, in the citadel of Susa. Now, what happened previously is this. This great king got his ego stepped on. His wife, 
Vashti, his queen. When I say his wife, it was like the high wife, the high queen. Because we learn throughout this passage that he has many, many wives. He's got what they call a harem, and, we'll, and you'll see that throughout the scripture. But Vashti was called to stand before all the nobles in the court of this, during this, this uh, party, that 180-day party he was throwing. It says when he was well lubricated, when he was drunk, when everybody was drunk and had too much to drink, she was called in. Nice. So that they could gawk at her. And she said, no. What? You don't say no to the king. His his ego got bruised. So what did he do? He said, you're no longer the queen. And his, his advisors devised a scheme to get him a new queen. Now, as I'm reading this, uh, chap- this, this chapter of the, of the Bible this past week, I'm realizing just how much culture has spoken into this story. It wasn't a beauty contest. There wasn't one position of queen that, you know, there was, it, this was a very, very weird situation. Basically, they went throughout the, all the provinces of the land and they rounded up anybody, any woman, young woman, actually, that they thought would be attractive, and they herded them, <laughs> herded them back to the citadel, and they ran them through a process of beautification and uh, cosmetics and all that stuff, all to get to the point where one night they could sleep with the king. And they had no choice. They were slaves to this system. So many people are like, why did Esther even allow? Why did, if Esther was such a great uh, person, why did she go through this? Why did she allow them? Why didn't she just say no? She was asleep. You've got to understand, in this culture, it's, it's not a 21st century culture. Can we understand that for a second? Women did not have the rights that they do today. Even, in, even as just regular women, but especially underneath the king. She was essentially going to be his wife, whether she was the high king or not. She was part of the harem. It was a polygamous concept. So when we get this 21st century Disneyfied version of it, it really takes away the context of what's going on. She is a slave. She gets put into this situation. The rise of a new queen of Jewish birth is no coincidence. It is the hand of God at the work in history to rescue his people. But this is a bad situation. We might say that uh, Ruth, that Esther was dealt a very bad hand. Maybe we could say that. Or we could say that in the badness of this world, God decided to take a situation that was bad Do something good with it. Esther 2.19 says this.
find it. The king... Okay, so when the virgins were gathered a second time. So now Esther becomes this queen. She, she goes through this process. She pleases the king. Everything's going well now, right? She's the queen. And then it gets worse. It says in 19, when the virgins were gathered a second time. This is Xerxes. This is his unquenchable sexual appetite. He already found his queen. She's Esther. Guess what? Let's round him up again. This is sick stuff. This is not Disney appropriate. Not Disney appropriate at all. So when we get to this point, it says, when the virgins were gathered the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now, a bunch of stuff has happened here. Esther won the quote-unquote beauty contest. Okay? She is the queen. And through her influence, she has now had Mordecai put into a position of uh, working in the palace. Mordecai is positioned well here. Okay? He's sitting at the king's gates. But there's also been a guy who's walked, uh, come up the ranks, and that's the mustache-twirling Haman. <laughs> He's bad. Now, Haman has become one of the king's highest officials. And we're going to see in a few minutes why this matters. At this point, everybody is asked to give homage to Haman, but Mordecai will not do it. Yes, why would Mordecai not do this? Why is this a big deal? It's not just a big deal because he's a guy. And, you know, the story has been told, Haman uh, was a a person and Mordecai would only bow to God. That's not the reason. It's not the reason. There's history here. Verse uh, uh, 3, 1 through 6. So after all this took place, there was a, She won the competition. Um, She was put in as the queen. Mordecai was elevated. Haman was elevated in in chapter 3. After these took place, King Ahasuerus honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Important word, Agagite. Everybody say Agagite. It's a lot of fun. Agagite. The Agagite. He promoted him to a rank and gave him higher position than all the other officials. The entire royal staff at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman because the king had commanded this to be done for him. So Mordecai is going against the king's order. But Mordecai would not bow down and pray, pay homage. The members of the royal staff at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? When they had warned him day after day and he still would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see if Mordecai's actions would be tolerated since he had told them he was a Jew. Very important there. We got an guy and a Jew. Keep going. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him homage, he was filled with rage. And when he learned that Mordecai's ethnic identity, it seemed repugnant to Haman to do, uh, um, to do away with him. So he, w- he wanted to get rid of him. 
Now, this is more than just a personal vendetta between two men that got out of hand. Haman's hatred for the Jews has history. Haman's hatred for the Jews has history. 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 9. What is an Agagite? It's not a nation. Here we go. Verse 7 of 15 of 1 Samuel. And Samuel uh, defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Now, most theologians will say, most commentaries will say, that Haman is a direct descendant of the king of the Amalekites, Agag. Now, Agag himself ends up getting uh, slaughtered by Samuel, but his family endured. Think about the, the potency of choices. Saul was told to annihilate that group of people because they were so evil and they were, and they were harassing the Israelite nation so badly in the promised land. And Saul decided to not go the full distance with it and not to do it all. He took a lot of things for himself. He, he spared the king. When you, when you spare the king, you usually spare the family of the king and all these things. This family endured because Saul didn't obey God. And then hundreds of years later, that, that um, feud endures in Susa. So it's not just a, a, a random guy who doesn't want to bow down to another random guy. There's history here, and it's a blood feud history. It's a big time. So what happens is, Haman gets so upset about this slight by Mordecai that instead of just dealing it man to man, he decides to go to the king and pay him, <coughs> excuse me, pay him a large sum of money for the ability to annihilate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. This is this is the Holocaust of the Persian Empire. Literally, just because you were Jewish or had Jewish lineage, you were slated for annihilation underneath Haman's law. So this blood feud between the Jews and the Amalekites is now reborn in Haman and Mordecai. It has all the earmarks of a great Fairy tale, doesn't it? It's crazy. All right, uh, switch over to 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Mordecai learned all of this had occurred, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, went to the middle of the city, and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jews, Jewish people in every province where the king <clears throat> uh, king's command and edict came. The, uh, they fasted 
and wept and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her uh, eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes to Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and uh, dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square and from the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa ordering their destruction so that the, uh, the Hathak might show it to Esther, explain to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and reported Mordecai's response to Esther. Now, at this point, you would think, this is not a big deal. Esther's his wife. Esther's his wife. Just go and ask your husband. It's not like that. Remember why, this is why I, sp- I wanted to spike out that, that um, observation that there was a second wave of collections of virgins, right? Esther is, she is the high queen, but she's not in favor at this time. To be presumptuous enough to go to the king's, uh, go to the king's presence without being invited holds some danger. Let's keep going here. Verse 10, Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai all the royal officials and the people of the royal province know that one law applies in every man to every man and every woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned. The death penalty. Unless the king extends his golden scepter, allowing the person to live, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. The king's been busy with his latest round of contestants. She has not been summoned. She she has not been somebody that he has wanted to see recently. So there's some fear here, some legit fear. Why is she king at all at this point? Why is she king? Because, I mean queen, because the last queen didn't do what the king told her to do. So now she's going to go and disobey the king's order at a point in time where she's out of favor, so to speak? We often think of this story as being like, so why is this just a big deal? It's a big deal. All right? So she hasn't been called for 30 days. Um, Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Verse 13, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think you will escape the fate of all the Jews because of your king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews, Jewish people from another place. But you and your uh, father's family will be destroyed. In this book of the Bible, The name of God is not spoken once. 
there is a book in your Bible that doesn't have the name of God spoken in it at all. Isn't that weird? There's a whole book that just goes about life without acknowledging the name of God. But this book acknowledges very heavily the providence of God. The providence of God. The providence of God is not something we talk about as much anymore. If you read the uh, history of our country, you're going to hear that passage, that, 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 that phrase, that, that word, so many times. The founding fathers talked about the providence of God, the providence of God, all the time. What is the providence of God? It's understanding that God is in control of everything, and we have a responsibility to do our part and let God take care of the details. The providence of God. Verse 15. This concept um, is huge. In, in some of your passages, it might say, maybe, uh, Mordecai's passages, maybe you were brought to the palace and this is a very common, for such a time as this. Let me ask you a question. What time is it? What time is it? Where are we living? In what time are we living? What are the things going on in our world and in our lives today? We have to be able to read the times and see how we can impact the times that we live in. Maybe, and I would say definitely, you are placed in this time for a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. How do we affect the time in which we live? Well, Esther goes on and says in verse 15, Esther sent the message to Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days and nights. And I may, that, uh, and, and then uh, I and my family servants, excuse me, female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What is that? It's exactly what we said at the beginning. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. She's going to Pray and set her face towards the task at hand. Prayer is the way in which we as human beings tap into the providence of God. Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus was, uh, uh, his ministry was coming to an end, it says that he fixed his eyes toward Jerusalem. Knowing that Stuff was going to happen. We have to have courage to say, I'm going to step into situations that I don't have control over. I love that Mordecai talks about the providence of God here. He says, God's going to take care of his people. God is going to work out the redemption of Israel because he's God. But you can have a part to play with this. And if you don't, 
play your part, you are going to miss out. You and your family will not survive this. But God is going to be faithful regardless of you. Do you want to be in on it? Or do you want to let this opportunity pass you by? Once Esther realizes that she is responsible for the time that she lives in, she, tr- she shows true courage. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not knowing the outcome. We like to get our, 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 I do, I don't know about you, I like to get all my ducks in a row. I don't know. I want to control the situation so I can see the end from the beginning. I want to uh, remove any variables. That, that's, that, that's self-preservation. That's protection of ourselves. But courage is not knowing the outcome. Courage is fear that is set as prayers. So what happens? She goes to the king. She knows she's out of his mind right now. She's not being, and she's really, she's really smart. She goes to the king in sackcloth and ashes. and Oh, king, why'd you do this? She starts whining. No, she's not an idiot. She gets her best digs on. She puts... You know, a little bit of extra makeup. I don't know what she does. But she goes and she presents herself to the king in a way that is going to, I don't know, perk his interest. Forgets all about that new crop. <laughs> and he stretches out his scepter to her. And, she's, and he says, what do, you, what do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I might have said, half the kingdom. That's what I want. She, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And he says, and she said to him, I want you to come to dinner. I've always wondered, I always wondered about that. Why, why that strategy? And I think I figured it out. Nobody likes to be used. People love to be liked. I haven't seen you in, in, a, in a month, and I have a big question, a big ask for you. Instead, she goes, I want to I be with you. We all like to be wanted, don't we? And you might think, well, he's got a lot of people. I don't know. It's a very lonely place at top, even if you have a harem. <laughs> She's smart. She uses everything at her disposal. She's smart. I want to say to you today, God has given you some incredible tools to use. Don't underestimate yourself. God has given you some amazing talents, resources, intelligence to be used. We often say, well, God will just take care of it. Yes, he will, but he wants to use everything that you got in this world. He gave it to you for a reason. Use it. So she goes to, he, she goes to him. They have dinner, and she invites Haman. Now, Haman's getting pretty excited right now. He's like, wow, I have made the big time. The queen wants me to dinner with the king. I'm the only one, just me. I am pretty awesome. Now, Haman doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. Haman doesn't know that Mordecai is her cousin. And in a, in a very Disney-esque uh, chain of events, 
the night after the party. Oh, by the way, when, when the king is at the party, he asks Esther, what do, you wanna, what do you want from me? Ask me anything. She goes, I just want to eat dinner with you again tomorrow night with you and Haman. She, I don't know why she does that. I, there's no really, maybe she was nervous. I don't know. Maybe the time just wasn't right. So that night, he's can't sleep. So he has the, the records of the kingdom come in and read to him because I'm sure they're boring. He's like, I got to find something to sleep. Counting sheep ain't working. Bring me some records. Have the accountants come in. And they start telling a story about how Mordecai foiled a plot on his life. And he never honored Mordecai for it. So he goes, hey, guards, go out into the courtyard and find one of my officials. Anybody's out there. I need, to, I need some, I need some, uh, <laughs> I, I need some advice. And it just happens that Haman is on his way back into the court to talk to the king to get Mordecai killed. So they're like, hey, Haman, the king needs you. He needs some advice. So Haman, you know, he's very, he thinks he's pretty hot stuff. He comes in, oh, the king wants my advice, all right. It didn't even occur to him that he was the only one in the court. But anyway, so the king says, what should I do for a man I want to honor? And because he's a complete narcissist, he automatically goes right to his own, oh, the king wants to honor me. He's like, well, I think you should, you know, I don't know. Dress him in one of your royal robes. Put him on your own horse. Parade him through the streets and tell and have him proclaim to the whole city, this is what the king does to a man he honors, that he loves. And the king's like, you know what? That's a great idea. That's, Haman, you're so smart. That's a great idea. Go and do that for Mordecai. I, it's just too perfect. Talk about the providence of God. It's just too perfect. Perfect. You ever see those uh, cartoons where the eyeballs go, So now Haman has to go do this for Mordecai, a person he hates and is trying to kill. He hates him so much, he built a scaffold that's like like, uh, like a, a, a gallows for him in his backyard. This guy's sick. Now, interestingly enough, when we think of gallows, we think of like, like that? It's worse. It's a humongous stake in the ground that they impale you on. And you just hang there, impaled. Like, like anybody has a yard decorations, right? Sick. Anyway, the second night, second night, Esther tells the king, I, I have you here for a reason. Haman this man right here in front of you has tricked you into destroying me and my family from the face of the earth. I am a Jew. And the king gets so flustered, he like storms out of the, the banquet. And Haman gets so nervous that he starts pleading with Esther for his life. And he, see, this is just like Disney, right? He falls on her. I don't know, he's like, oops. As he's fallen on her, the king walks in. It's like, you know, midweek soap opera stuff. And the king is like, will you even assault the queen in my own chest? This is awesome stuff. So what does he do? He says, all right, take this villain, Haman, 
and impale him on his own scaffold and give everything that belonged to Haman, give it to Mordecai. Even the yard uh, decorations. Give him everything. It's a lot of book to sum up in a short time. So let's finish, let's land this thing, okay? Because two people decided to put their lives in the hands of a true and present God and step out in courage, the die that was cast for their destruction became a day of their deliverance. Now I want to talk about Purim for a second. Purim was supposed to be the day on the calendar signified by the throw of the dice that every Jewish person in Persia was to be slaughtered. That was the day. That was the day in which they were supposed to be slaughtered. Esther 9, verse 20. Mordecai recorded the events, all that we just talked about, recorded the events and sent letters to all the Jews in the king of, of King Ahasuerus' province, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th day of the month of Adar, which is what came up for their destruction, every year. Because during those days, the Jews uh, gained relief from their enemies. That was the month where the, uh, their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning into holiday. They were to be days of fasting, of feast, not fasting, but feasting, rejoicing, and sending gifts to one another and to the poor. What became their day of annihilation because of what seemed to be a random bad chance, bad day, became their Christmas. They were fasting in prayer, and now they're feasting in celebration. What man meant for evil. God turned for good. And what, if we understand what Mordecai would have said, he said, it's going to happen. I'm not worried about that. But Esther, you can either be a part of it or you can be a footnote in it. You can be the person who brings it about or you can be the person who passed it by. God is tr a true and present. He's true and present in our lives. Last verse and we're done. Psalms 30, 11 through 12. It says, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Lord, I thank you for this Really remarkable story in your word. A story that's almost too perfect to be true. It's just phenomenal. The providence of God is, is saturating every line and every word. Lord, I pray that we be people who would meet the time we live in with courage. Lord, we live in a difficult time in so many ways. And courage is not just blindly walking out into into an uh, unknown future. Courage is facing fear through prayer. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us the courage to stand up for the right, 
to step out in truth, regardless of the enemies that are around us. There are going to be people who are going to hate us because they hated you first. But Lord, you are true and you are present in our midst today. Lord, go with us and give us the courage of Esther. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.